Who are you and why are you doing this? We are bad men and for the money. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Manson. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. And a happy Saturday, happy weekend to you, wherever you may be. Delighted to have you with us. And, of course, delighted to be working once again of a Saturday with our buddy, the guy at the board, our producer, Nathan Miller, the tall guy. How are you doing, Nathan? Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. Doing well. It's a nice sunny here in the studio, just relaxing, enjoying the show. And whoa, whoa, that's right. I forgot. It's Seafair Weekend. The Blue oh. Angels are back in town. The All Blue right. Angels. Well, if we're going to get into that, <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne Mitchell and I met up with a lady we have interviewed numerous times, a radio veteran and a great one at that, Tori Ryder. We were in Chicago. She lives in Chicago. We went to the top of the Hancock building. Where they, in some stories. It's yeah. a whole bunch of stories up there, way up in the clouds, as it were. We had a wonderful buffet lunch. In the middle of which, on the 95th floor of the John Hancock building during the weekend when the Blue Angels were going to be in Chicago, and they came sideways through two buildings past we were eating, and I thought we were going to lose our lunch. It was scary. <laughs> they are loud. loud. I mean, it just loud shakes your whole body once they roar by you. It's well, and incredible. They, when they roar by a hundred story building, the whole building has a tendency <laughs> to shake as they go by. So that was quite exciting. That was our experience of the Blue Angels and how fun that Seafair is this weekend and people can enjoy that. Absolutely. And, you know, it was funny when that happened in Chicago, funny in the terrifying sort of way, because Suzanne and Turi both let out a shriek. When it went by, we were all caught by surprise. I had my back to the window where this was happening. I'm still eating my dessert. And I'm all of a sudden, I hear these two shrieks. I'm going, what? I don't want no trouble. What's going on here? (laughs) And they roared by between the buildings over Lake Michigan. It was an extraordinary moment, I'm telling you. So, yes, when you play that, you know, you definitely are addressing American military might from the public relations angle, of course, (laughs) might be good for recruitment as well. My dad was in the Navy in World War II. God bless him. We are so fortunate today, Suzanne, to be able to talk to a couple of gentlemen about one of the darkest secrets, which has gradually come to light regarding government activity of the highest order in terms of security clearance, but also in the background and in a way that many people who have looked into this subject would regard as insidious activity at the highest reaches of the executive branch of government going back to the 1950s, the 1960s, all that went on, it seems to be like a tangled web of deception, of deceit, and maybe even death. You wonder what happens to people who have these experiences. My heart goes out to them. We have never talked about this topic before in our 15 years on air. This will be a first, but I was saying to our guests uh, a few moments ago, it will be the third time that we have talked to somebody about the CIA. And the first time was when we talked to uh, John Herlosky about remote viewing and Project Stargate. 
And the second time was when we talked about the UFO project and the MJ Majestic. Do I did I say that right? Majestic 12. Majestic yes. 12. We talked about UFOs and and that. And so now we're going to talk about the CIA once again with a couple of gentlemen who have done their research and we want to know what it is that they found. Gary, why don't you give them their mad props? Let's bring them on because we got a lot of questions. Oh my goodness. If I went into their separate resumes here, we'd be here till the we bottom of the that. hour in the break. Sure. So we're not going to do that this time. Yep. Joey Medea, when he is not investigating strange phenomena, is an award-winning screenwriter, audio dramatist, playwright, novelist, actor, and director. Plus he has other hobbies. I don't know what he does with the other and, 10 minutes in his week. And this will be his eighth or ninth time on air with us. Plus, well. he's been with me on another show broadcast on 1150 right. AM called American Road Trip Talk. Yep. He's an he's encyclopedia familiar. of the weird, but also there is such a creative dimension to Joey. I have a lasting admiration for him. His energy level, which when I read all the things he does. I get exhausted just looking at it. He is one busy guy and his career is really taking off like a rocket. And he brought a friend with him today. He brought in a buddy, Craig Ansel. This gentleman is a co-host. He is associated and may have been one of the co-creators. We're going to find out in a second of the Three Beards podcast dedicated to conspiracies, true crime, cryptids, paranormal, and fringe topics. Hosts Craig Ansel, just mentioned, plus Chris Harmon and Austin Burke live in the central Florida area. And here we are a couple of hours drive from them residing in Sarasota. Got a Floridian here with us today. We found uh, what Craig indicates is that we, he and his uh, collaborators, found a common interest in the weird topics and sports as well and decided to start a podcast. And when we get to our marketing piece after our bottom of the hour, one of a kind break, we'll, we'll find out more details. about it. They, yep. they can let you all know. Yep. For the moment, however, and with a lot of anticipation, we welcome back Joey Medea and are happy to be introduced to Craig Ansel. Gentlemen, welcome to Manson Mitchell. Good afternoon. Welcome. It's good to be back. Good yeah, to have you back, Joey. You're getting to be a, a regular with us, and we're happy because you have so many things that you are interested in yeah. that, um, you know, Gary and I, we can pick a new topic, and, and you have some interesting information to share. What got you interested in this topic, and then how did you meet Craig? Let's start there. Okay, so this topic, well, my dad, like Gary's dad, was in the United States Navy. He was uh, a cryptographer. He was attached to the Naval Security Group in Vietnam. <clears throat> so he was uh, attached to a Marine Expeditionary Force. Uh, it was top secret at the time, this young Navy man, and he was exposed to Agent Orange. And my dad had to fight for over a decade. I would say that my father is uh, a 50-year casualty of Vietnam. I mean, he will eventually die from his exposure to Agent Orange. He has a lot of a lot of side effects. He's on 100% disability. But having been in a clandestine program, right? So when he would go to the VA hospital, they would say, well, you were in the Navy. How did you expose, get exposed to Agent Orange? Um, it, it was such an arduous journey for him that I, I grew up very distrustful of the government. Uh, 
my generation and my daughter especially have uh, medical conditions that are in line with exposure to Agent Orange. And these are things that aren't talked about. So MK Ultra is just a big piece of this umbrella. So that's I'll leave that there for now. I know that's a heavy way to start on a Saturday afternoon. Um, I met Craig uh, through a mutual colleague and I was a guest on Three Beards podcast. This was a couple of years ago. And Craig and I immediately hit it off. He does research like I do. He's very well-spoken, conscientious, uh, compassionate. He's a family man. Checked a lot of boxes, as the modern saying goes for me. And uh, Craig and I have co-founded a group called the Red Thread Collective, where we look at these fringe theories very closely. Uh, we bring on panelists. Everyone does their independent research. And then we talk about it live. And at the end, we kind of summate and say, okay, what do we think is fact? What do we think is fiction? What can we hold on to? Where should we go next? Um, And then Craig and I have just started a new series. And this was our debut episode uh, on MKUltra called Sinister Mysteries. And this qualifies. (laughs) Gosh, thank you for that. We're taking a deep dive today. Yeah. Craig and Sal, we're delighted to have you with us for the first time, and we like to get to know our guests. If there is something you want to say, of course, let us know a bit about your interest in this subject particularly, and more generally, your attraction to a whole panoply of subjects that would cause someone to think that you must be wired for weird. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. Thank you very much. Um, This is... I. I would say for myself, this was just, it's always been a passion. I mean, long life, you know, X-Files fan, it, it's, you you know, Outer Realms. I mean, you, you had all these, you have all these friend shows. I just absolutely loved, you know, Twilight Zone. I mean, that, those are the ones, these are the ones I always had this thing. So I always had a fascination for it. I'm a long, long time believer, but I'm also, like I said, I've always had a really healthy dose of skepticism where I really like the scientific side. I really like to break down, you know, find the things that if you can isolate the things that are easily explained, then what's left over is even that much more magical and interesting to look at because, you know, it just, it's exciting because you know that this is something that can't be, you know, easily explained. And so with the show three beards podcast, that was kind of, that was kind of my, my goal. And I've, you know, some episodes I take the other two guys kicking and screaming with me, you know, they don't, they don't care for, you know, they're not cared for the topics, but it's one of those that just log deep dive. I've really enjoyed it. And this, this is one we've wanted to cover for a while. Cause this is, this goes back to world war two is where this is where this started. And Craig, did you read about this or hear about this? Or, I mean, I know with Gary, he was reading a UFO book back in grammar school. I mean, at what point in your life did you say, well, that's interesting. I'd like to know more about that. Um, I would say um, when I really got interested in this, this is probably, I'd say probably about five or six years ago when I actually just really took a dive into the topic. But always being a World War II buff, I knew about the Unit 731, which was a Japanese research arm i don't know if either of you know much about much about chap that um that unit but they were they were basically doing human experimentation on mass scale on chinese citizens and so this is and this their research like Oper- um, operation paperclip they brought these japanese scientists and the nazi scientists into our fold and started using them for our research and mk ultra is heavily involved using the research that these people got 
So you're saying the Japanese and the Germans were doing their own research in their own countries, and then the United States became interested in what they were doing. And yes. and and this is a, a a branch of the CIA, or they are somehow the ones that were were bringing it to us. Um, I think it was more just the work was already done, so it was an easy way to fold it in there. It just the it because back in the 40s and 50s, it was if we don't do it, the commies are going to get it. You know, the Russians, you know, yeah. the Chinese communists are going to take this stuff. So if we don't get it right now, you know, the bad people are going to get it. Well, the problem is what's better, us doing this, you know, abhorrent research or the communists doing abhorrent research. And that was always the question. And then, but MK Ultra, you'll see, you'll see this stuff as you go through from Sidney Gottlieb. He, they just, they took this up because the, the, everything was already done. So this was just like a piece that, you know, we can build this platform off of this. They, they were already experimenting on the things that we wanted to do. And I don't know if you guys want to get into the beginning of MK Ultra now, or if you want to wait, but that's, that's one thing we can do. Thank you, Craig, for that opening. This guy talks like a podcaster. I like that. <laughs> you know, we can go back and forth on this. That's excellent. But Craig and Joey, what I would like you gentlemen to know, and it, I think it's important for our listeners to know that it can be very difficult to do your honest best to get this story out to the people. When I was an overnight producer at another station in Seattle, I tried and failed to get someone with authoritative knowledge to come on and discuss MK Ultra, they would not touch it. And I thought, okay, it's out there in public conversation to whatever degree. And over time, I think that will be even more the case. And here we are today. How much of a shroud of secrecy did you, Craig, and you, Joey, have to penetrate in order to get anything like factual information and a credible narrative regarding MK Ultra. I'll let Joey start on this one. Okay. Um, these, these are salad days for this, Gary, thanks to the people who broke things open through the Freedom of Information Act. The pushback that you get is by people who are quick to say, well, hey, in 1973, Richard Helms destroyed all of the records having to do with this subject. So anything you have must be secondhand and spurious. Well, it isn't because MK Ultra was a Leviathan. It was, it was an octopus that went out with so many tentacles in so many different places. Yes, it resided with the CIA, but um, other Department of Defense, the US Army, so on and so forth, they were all involved in this work. Anyone who had personnel from Project Paperclip, so it was really hard to track down all of the paperwork. Another aspect that makes it helpful for us once we start pulling the threads through FOIA is that so many of the psychiatrists and the psychologists that were involved in this program, many without their knowledge, because probably everyone's familiar with the fact that the CIA is very good at creating front organizations like the Institute for Human Discovery. So they set this thing up and they funnel the movie. The, uh, so when, when they had the congressional hearings in 1977, a lot of these doctors were saying, we didn't even know 
that the CIA was involved in this. So they were publishing papers. There's so much information out there. Now there are documentaries out there about this stuff where you can watch actual footage of an army intelligence officer dosed for 36 hours with high doses of aerosol LSD. Oh my God. And watch him not be able to open a doorknob to see other guys dose with something like benzene, uh, benzylate, which they liked way better than LSD. They were very excited about that. You can watch these guys like their legs are foreign creatures, you know, like they have bugs crawling on them. They're rolling around on the bed or they're going, I just want this to stop. And they're pulling their headphones off. So these are good days to get all of this out there. There were some big court cases in the 2000s where a lot of this came to light. So I I found it um, refreshing that we're not talking about speculation here. This is not a fringe theory, MKUltra. This is hard data. Craig, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because this is this is one of those things. Is there a, is there a link that you, like the hosts were asking? Um, is there a link you can just click and just boom, everything's there? No, but it's real, real easy. There's things we can get into. I mean, you can know it as um, Ravenscrag, which is which is now called the Allen Memorial Institute in Montreal. Well, if you just click on that, you know, okay, the Allen Memorial Institute, eh, not that big of a deal. But then you realize that this is a subproject of MK Ultra, and it was just like Joey said. What you do is um, Bob Lazar famously talked about it. It's like Everything is compartmentalized. You don't know. You're working on this little piece, this little cog. You just know you're perfecting this cog. You don't know what this is. And so once you get that cog done, it's shipped off to the next project, which is putting this cog with the part they're working on. And very few people know what the grand scheme is. So when you're questioned about it, you're like, I, I used to make gears out of titanium. I, I, you know, you know, no, there's no conspiracy. That's all they know. And so, it's, so that's the, what most mainstream people will say. See, there's nothing to this. You guys are crazy. It's not UFOs. It's done by design. And MK Ultra, and Joey's done a lot of research on this too. We can even get it's. It's one of its latest tentacles, is potentially the Havana syndrome. Ah, and jo- jo- and so. interesting. Yeah. What What was the um, basic focus of MK Ultra that you and Joey were looking at, Craig? It, if they if they were involved in experimentation from Germany and Japan, what what was the I mean, we, we've talked, as I said, at the outset, we talked about remote viewing and we talked about uh, UFOs. What is the focus here of MK Ultra? Well, if you well, if you look at like um, I like to refer to a lot of like modern Hollywood movies, Minority Report, you've seen that basically those, you know, those girls in the tank in that milky liquid doing this stuff that's pretty much you could you could easily sum up like the what MK Ultra was trying to do is you're trying you're trying to have somebody who can see wherever they want to see they can they can enter you know they can talk to people they can in they can influence them this was the goal is it was everything to done instead of boots on the ground i want to have some super soldier who is a is is a powerful psychic who can basically right now convince you two to do whatever I want just by, you know, mind control. And that was their mind goal. Control. Okay. It's because yeah. what a better way to have a soldier than you never have to drop anywhere. They can be sitting in some underground bunker and can actually do the things that they want them to do. 
And uh, Joey, with regard to the idea of mind control, is it my understanding um, from you that a lot of that was drug driven? Absolutely. So to quote a CIA memorandum, uh, this was specifically for subproject 142. So um, part of the challenge, like Craig was saying, you can't go somewhere and get this whole story. There were 149 different subprojects, but this is what they say. The overall goal was this, to control the mind and behavior and to create disassociation through a combination of drugs, hypnosis, brain electrode implants, electric shock, and beaming different kinds of energy at the brain. That's the summation right from the CIA. That's what MKUltra was doing. You know what? I, I'm going to ask you to repeat that because that was a big mouthful. One more okay. time. The overall goal was to control the mind and behavior and to create disassociation through a combination of drugs, hypnosis, brain electrode implants, electric shock, and beaming different kinds of energy at the brain. When you speak this way, Joey, what it puts me in mind of, of all things, is the 1980s vintage cell phone, first generation cell phone. Think back to that. Look at how bulky, how unwieldy that was by comparison today with our iPhones and Android phones. Looking at all of that, it scares me a bit in contemplating it because we're going to have a combination of this, 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 and this to achieve this objective. You know, it starts big and bulky, but had that program gone undetected and uninterrupted, maybe they would have had it down to such a science that they could control human behavior for strategic purposes, especially in times of war, with something like a small pill that was multifunctional and would help them reach their goals and maybe using unsuspecting people in the process because with technology, I mean, it's cell phones. You remember the early uh, VCRs and what we have now? It's a, you have the advance of technology and the ability to do these things. Can you imagine what it would be like if they had done all this undetected for 50 years? Yeah. And, and there is no, people will be quick to say, like when, whenever I present on this, people will say, and you know, they're still doing it today. Well, we don't know that for an absolute fact. They have gotten very good at changing the names of programmers, hide them, but we can only assume that this didn't end, right? So let's look at an analog project blue book after being grudge and bluebird and all of that uh, became other things. And now they're right in the midst of changing the name of the government air force. I mean, the UFO task force again. Um, <clears throat> so they've hid their, their crumbs better, but I think I can break it down for you. Manchurian candidate. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There were very, movie. there were very high level people in the psychiatry and psychology programs that said, we cracked this. We did it. We created assassins. We broke these people down, right? A key part of this is the dissociation. You break someone down. They don't know their name. They don't know where they are. They don't know what day it is. They don't know their history. And then they use something called psychic driving 
to fill them, I think of like filling a cannoli with cream, right? Using, you know, that tool that a baker uses there. Um, you fill them up through the psychic driving and you make them whatever you want. So was Sirhan Sirhan? Was John David Chapman? Was um, <clears throat> Mark, what's his name? Mark Chapman and the, these guys. Um, were they, their behavior was odd. Sirhan Sirhan put down the rifle and just stood there and waited for them to come. So these things are very controversial, but but there are documents where these doctors said, we did crack it, Gary. We cracked it. And they're super proud of it. Some of these guys became the head of the APA, the American Psychological Association, through the strength of these programs, of the research they did. Um, a guy at Edgewood Arsenal, which was an army program, brought 7,000 guys through and did incredible damage. We can talk about Edgewood today if you want to. He said, I made a lot of mistakes in my life, but Edgewood and that program was not one of them. So there's a pride and there's an arrogance because it's war and you win war at all costs. Craig, you've heard what Joey had to say. Concur. Anything to add before we go to a break? I wanted to get your perspective um, on I would all say, of this. I'd say concur wholeheartedly with everything he just said. Um, it's one of, it's the age old question. Do the benefits outweigh, you know, the costs? And that's one of the things there's, several things we can get to on the other side too is just that have been developed from these programs but does that make this program okay you know adhd medication some of this stuff was you know was developed based off some of the research that was gained from these experimentations on people joey uh, one more thing there uh suzanne wants to get in here before we go to our break but joey was talking about the manchurian candidate mm -hmm. i've got a movie for you and it addresses what craig said a moment ago the movie is a clockwork orange oh, yeah. where mm -hmm. if you get down to and this was kubrick's ultimate question in that very famous movie if you get down to the point where you have to do a cost-benefit analysis on the sanity of a single human being with ulterior motives in mind on the part of those who can administer a drug or otherwise induce you to perform in ways you wouldn't ordinarily do. Now you're talking about the guardians and who guards the guardians. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Absolutely. I'm not going to add anything to that. <laughs> okay. Why don't we take a break? <laughs> okay. And when we come back, uh, these gentlemen are very involved. They're very energetic. They make great use of their time with their various investigations and presentations. We'd like to know how you can get up close and personal with them. Maybe you have a question for them. Maybe you want to go to their website, send them an email, get on their podcast, whatever. We would like to make that opportunity available to you. So give us a couple of minutes. We'll be back with more. More of Manson Mitchell, more of Joey Medea, more of Craig Ansel, more of dark history in the modern history of the United States of America. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. 
staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guests this hour, Joey Medea and Craig Ansel. And for both of you gentlemen, one at a time, um, we'll start alphabetically with Craig. If people would like to get in touch with you, you, you mentioned the Three Beards podcast. Tell us when and where people can find you on that, any other information uh, so that they can connect with you or learn more about what it is that you do, Craig. Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Threebeardspodcast.com is our website or um, we are on YouTube, all social media, same thing. Three beards podcast. It's really easy to find. Um, just search it up in Google search and it's going to just pop right up. Uh, you can go there where we have our shows every Wednesday night at 8 PM Eastern time. And we just cover a variety of topics. Like we just, we just got done talking uh, with a couple of people. It, it just, this last one. And, you know, and I, it was a fantastic conversation. It was about the Alaskan Triangle. And that was, you know, that was a lot of fun. Very good. Very it's, good. It's the kind of thing we'd love to have you back to talk. Because we have not talked about that specific subject, though I do find it very fascinating and kind of harrowing as well. That's the kind of thing we'd like to discuss with you in the future. So we'll find a date, then we can save it and we'll make that happen. And Joey, for the one or two people who have not yet met you in this world, please tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, Joey Medea, J-O-E-Y-M-A-D-I-A on, you know, Instagram and Twitter, Facebook. I stay very active because I have a lot going on. I'm very blessed in my life. And you can tune into Into the Outer Realms, which is our podcast. Uh, we just did episode 124. So we're getting there. Nowhere near you two guys, 15 years, but we're pushing two years now. And uh, that's on 
Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I also have a YouTube channel. I love to talk about story. I do a Saturday morning children's story time live most Saturday mornings at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time on my Facebook page. So if you have little kids and you want to hear a a good, inspiring children's book. Um, sometimes I'm in costume and I do voices, so you, you can check it out. So thank you. You're versatile and fun. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Joey, and thank you, Craig. And speaking of costumes, I needed a picture last night sending out the social media to tout these guys, and I found a picture of Joey Medea. I'm sorry, by the way, Craig, I wanted to include you in that. I wasn't 100% sure uh, that won't happen again in the future because I will get a nice glossy from you, a nice oh, image. Yeah, no. But the, the one I have of uh, Joey is of his impersonation, which I understand was too wide a claim at the Tulsa Chautauqua event. And he was dressed up looking just like Allen Ginsberg, the famous poet of the beat generation. He was one of the central beats there. And I thought, man, who am I looking at here? That was fascinating, Joey. Thank you. That was a, yeah, three weeks in Oklahoma, which is an inter interesting place to take a, uh, a hippie beat, um, drug loving, highly spiritual, uh, poet from the 1960s. So, so there's a lot of interesting conversations. Ginsburg did his thing for 50 minutes in the Chautauqua format. You do that. And then you take questions from the audience. And the very first question to him at the very first city was, have you ever had a real job? <laughs> <laughs> So, so that was fun. So thanks for, for sharing. That's how I really got started on this MK Ultra journey. Um, Ginsburg was actually very outspoken and went to war with uh, CIA director Richard Helms on a number of topics over the years. You know, when I think back to the beats, there's a show, that, and we've talked about Jack Kerouac and the, the beat generation before. That's the kind of thing every now and again, I think needs to be recollected. When I look at, at Ginsburg, Kerouac, and all of their friends and associates, I think we're talking about asymmetrical warfare. And from the literary perspective within that genre, which was like a, an envelope that they kept pushing almost to where it was misshapen when they were done with it. But that's okay, because it was revolutionary in its way. I say asymmetrical, Joey and Craig, there because who has the power? Who's appointed? Who's elected? Who controls the bureaucracy? That's what the beats often associated with being down and out, just beaten, man. And yet they protested. What a fascinating axis on which these issues turn, because if you don't have any power except your voice, you better use your voice. Absolutely. And it takes absolute bravery. Them and Tim Leary and Richard Alpert, who became Ram Dass and Ken Kesey, uh, their lives were not easy. Uh, Ginsburg got strip searched in a Paris airport. They tried to get the other beats to plan drugs on him, to put him in prison. He got kicked out of Cuba. He got kicked out of Czechoslovakia. So these guys weren't just getting drunk and writing poetry. Um, they were activists. They were political, social activists. Arguably, Ginsburg was the pinnacle of that. Um, Kerouac had a lot of problems. Kerouac was so anti-communist. He was pro-war in Vietnam. Um, that was a bone of contention between them. And to bring this back to exactly where we are, 
Kerouac probably would have agreed with this quote. This quote is by G.H. Estabrooks, who was a mind control doctor. He was a consultant for the FBI and the CIA. You can find this in his book, Hypnotism, in a chapter called Hypnotism in Warfare. The hand of the military must not be tied by any silly prejudices in the minds of the general public. War is the end of all law. In the last analysis, any device, any device is justifiable, which enables us to protect ourselves from defeat. Wow. Mm-hmm. I I wanted to, um, I think if, if I heard this correctly, and if I didn't, then um, I'll get my hand slapped. But I think it was Craig, when we were finishing up before the break, you mentioned Havana. Were you the person who mentioned Havana, Cuba? Yeah, about that. Yeah, I was. I was. This is is in our time. I mean, this is not Mm -hmm. like the 1950s or 60s or 70s. This is in recent time when people were uh, disabled because of the. Well, why don't I let you tell the story? What happened in Havana, and what have you learned about what happened in Havana? Well, that one. Basically, I know Joey's done a lot of one on this too. It's back, back sub project 54 was um, one of the things of MK ultra. And this was a uh, Navy's top secret. Um, it was called perfect concussion was the nickname for it. And they were re- wanting to research sub um, sub frequency blast that would give a concussion and erase memories, which was one of the things that MK ultra was to do. Well, that's the exact thing that is happening with the Havana syndrome is people are coming away that when they're hit with this, they're coming away with everything from severe cognitive difficulty to just ringing in their ears pain. And there are a lot of people that have suffered this have had, you know, memory issues, you know, just the, the stuff, which was exactly what this sub sub project 54 was aimed at. But, you know, as they always do, it was it was never researched. Well, it was because it was most likely rebranded and retitled something else, and it continued on. This MK Ultra never shut down. It just what? the name MK Ultra that project that stopped. They just called it something else. What and was it, it, and it? continued. What was it determined to be? Sound waves or something? I I heard sound waves on TV. But yeah, they've. Yeah, that's uh, they. I don't think they, they've even thought it was might might be microwave um, related. Joey Joey might know a little bit more, you know, because he did a lot of research on this as well. Joey, so so let's quote the contractor from Sub Project Fifty Four, who remains nameless. So that's what you get with FOIA from Freedom of Information Act. Many things are redacted. So who the contractor was, not that important. He says um, that they are mechanical blast waves propagated through the air, always followed by amnesia for the actual moment of the accident. The blast duration would be in the order of a tenth of a second. And it's over. Tenth of a second. Masking of a noise of this duration. So obviously some kind of sound, right? Because they say noise. Uh, should not be difficult. It would be advantageous to establish the effectiveness of both of the above methods as a tool in brainwash therapy. So these guys are always thinking because 
the DOD sends out all the brass and they want to see what you're up to. And then they're going to write the check. So everybody's going, not only can we do this, but we can also do this. And you have a problem and I want to solve it. It's business to all these people. So um, based on those clues from this unnamed contractor, uh, it was some kind of noise, some kind of pulse weapon um, that is definitely Annie Jacobson um, in her work for the Wall Street Journal and the series of books she's written about DARPA and so forth. She said that Russia, when um, when they were building the U.S. embassy in Russia, uh, I believe that was in the 1960s, they were putting these pulse weapons in, in the in the walls. Which of the leads, embassy. <laughs> right. Which leads me to the question that, you know, I'm really curious about. And that is, um, have you have you figured out or researched anything to indicate the source of these tenth of a second pulses? Do you think that the contractor is a United States contractor or does it seem to be a foreign source? Uh, oh, Craig, above. you want to address that? All of the above. Yeah. That's my yeah, thought. This is, yeah, it's unfortunately this now we're in the realm of everything that is highly classified. So this is not, this is going to be all speculation. So there's not going to be anybody that, if you see anybody that shows a picture of this is what the device looks like, it's all speculative. But we know that Chinese, North Korea, you know, you go down, Germany, MI6, US, I mean, all the, all the alphabets. They're all involved in these activities now, and each one of these, they're not releasing the information. So, I mean, we're talking James Bond type stuff where this is going to be a device that's going to be set. It's going to go off and, you know, for whatever, whatever the purpose is right there, it just, you know, you got an envoy coming, you got to get the material, boom, you set off the device, you take the stuff, the guy's sitting there like, what happened? I have no idea what just happened. You know, well, where's the case? What, what case are you talking about? And that's, you know, it, we're, we're into the spy territory with this right yeah. now. And unfortunately, yeah. nobody really knows the details. I wish we did, you know, because then we tell you, hey, look out for the black box on the side of the building. Right. And what, with what it is that you just said, it, this is reminding me of uh, a borderless community of interested parties so that to the people who are involved in this, it really may not matter. There isn't like a bad guy from another country or something like that. It isn't good guys, bad guys. It's just people who are interested in this particular technology and it doesn't really matter what country they're from. Does, does that make sense? I mean, if, if they're in it with each other, it could be from a number of countries all collaborating on this one thing. Is that likely, or do you think they're in competition? I, I would say there's definitely competition um, with that too. It's just um, the technology, like anything, when we're talking spy tech and all this stuff, it's it's who can steal it from who. You know, it's just Russians are trying to steal the information from us. We're trying to get it from the Chinese. The Chinese are trying to get it from us. I mean, it just you just go down the line, and this is just one of those things where. Whoever has it, they're going to use it, and just highest bidder, highest bidder for somebody. Highest bidder, and then just you know, like I said, whoever can develop the latest, greatest tech is going to be the one that's going to be able to employ it on the on your opposition, and get the upper hand through it. Personally, if I had access, I'd like to go through 
the probably the big glass double doors into the lobby of the CIA wearing a spy versus spy t-shirt. I think yes. that would I think that would be some chutzpah. You might never hear from me again, but it would be a great way to go out. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, gentlemen, and uh, Joey, let's start with you, and then Craig, please weigh in. We've heard about the CIA. We've heard about the government. We've heard about wartime. What role, if any, was played, whether by cooperation, contract, or coercion, by venerable institutions like mental hospitals of long standing? or even universities? Were they willing or unwilling participants in creating this program that is so fraught? Gary, that's an excellent question, and it's an important data point. We know from documentation that there were 89 different institutions that were involved. Um, Mental hospitals, military research facilities, institutions of higher learning. Uh, MK Ultra Project number 35, for instance, funded construction of the Gorman Annex at Georgetown University Hospital. Georgetown's pretty darn prestigious. The total budget for the annex was 1.25 million. And the purpose was to provide a hospital safe house for mind control research. One sixth of that space was set aside exclusively for the CIA. So research universities, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, on and on and on, Tulane University, right? When you start getting into the weaponization of cancer and uh, pulling in some of the players around the Kennedy assassination, Uh, there's a book called Mary's Monkey about that. So these are very venerable institutions and it's where the money flows and it's about the money, right? We always say it, follow the money and also cue bono, who benefits? Well, when the money's coming in, a lot of people are benefiting. Um, You have endowed chairs in research departments, Um, prisons, prisons were another place because you have to keep in mind this. Um, I've been hitting you with quotes to kind of to show this. After World War II, there was something called the Nuremberg Code. And the Nuremberg Code was designed to prevent on an international level what Craig was talking about with Unit 371, Craig? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and also what the Germans were doing. The Nuremberg Code had 10 articles. The United States military did not, nor to this day, does it recognize the Nuremberg codes. This is right in line with not signing, being signatories in the International Criminal Justice Court. The United States government does not want anyone telling them what they can or can't do. Think about Esther Brooks, quote, in 1950, which is basically at the onset of this, there's something called the Ferris Document. It was someone named Ferris was a military person who was subjected to experiments and tried to sue the military. The Ferris document states that no lawsuits against the U.S. military can be made. Therefore, the U.S. military has broad immunity, which leads to dosing our soldiers with Agent Orange, which leads to 7,000 volunteers being subjected to LSD, BS, CS nerve gas at one facility, the Edgewood Arsenal in Maryland. Um, That's 
that that's what we're looking at. You know, we're that's what we're looking at. The cards are stacked against everybody else. So as long as the CIA has money to spend, there are players. How does all of this sound to you, Craig? Well, I teased it at the end, you know, at the break there about what's better. You know, it's like, where do you draw the line? Um, everybody's heard of Retin-A, I'm sure, or retinol, the acne medication. Yes, yes. right. That was developed um, by Dr. Albert Klingman, who was, he was here into his degrees to the University of Pennsylvania. He did medical experiments on over 90% of the inmates at Holmesburg Prison. And he did derm- he did skin experiments. And so these ones like horrific, you know, horrific experiments on all these prisoners. If you look him up in his time at Holmesburg Prison, these were captive prisoners that were used as unwilling, just volunteer, volunteers to experiment. And this is how he developed this. And he was the one that developed this acne medication. And so does the clearer skin, you know, having your clearer skin now, is that beneficial? You know, are you, you know, that's why I said, this is where, what's better, the end result or how we got it. And that's what is so disturbing about MK Ultra. I've heard the word volunteer at least twice. There were there un, not only unwilling, but unwitting participants who had these things done to them. And what happened to those individuals? That was the um, Holmesburg prison was all involuntary. These were not, the, these people were just experimented on. Okay. They so they were had, guinea pigs. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was a state sponsored um, test facility. That was what was so disturbing about it. That's why we talk about it on air. I mean, yep. they've already got you. You talk about being a down and outer. You're incarcerated. We talked about that in terms of the beats, feeling powerless and speaking from your most authentic voice. What about when you're not even allowed to have a voice, when they control your movements already? Mm-hmm. That is truly terrifying. Yeah, I mean, right now the Canadian government and the U.S. government will not acknowledge um, what was done to Canadian um, people up there at at that Allen Memorial Institute, the experiments that they did for the MK Ultra, they they won't they won't acknowledge it. It's it's still it's one of those. It's like, but this happened. Yeah, we don't know anything. What it's, does that What does that tell us about the flow of information today? At the outset, Joey was talking about the Freedom of Information Act. I've seen documents, particularly when they were put up on a screen. If you're watching a TV program on some arcane subject. FOIA, which is not cheap to do. You spend a lot of money making this request, only in some cases, at least, to get paperwork that is 90% redacted or blacked out. And you're looking at two sentences when you're trying to get to the bottom of a very deep well. Yeah, Joey can answer this perfectly. Yeah, I mean, it's it comes under a two-word phrase, national security. National security. Um we don't follow the Nuremberg Code because of national security. Um, the F, uh, a, a, anybody who commits to doing the Freedom of Information Act, I give them a lot of credit. It takes money. It takes patience. You have to be very, very thorough. That's why you have uh, 149 different sub-projects. <clears throat> That's why MK Ultra becomes um, all these different names. So when you're looking at this, you're following threads and you're going like, wait a minute, what is this? And this project, this, and it's, it's a way to break the breadcrumb chain, the big analog right now that I think more people would know about because it's so prevalent is the UFO UAP stuff. 
change the names. Government contractors are constantly changing their names. So if I write FOIA and I say, I only want to know about MK Ultra, well, they're not going to tell me about MK Search and they're not going to tell me about Bluebird and Artichoke and, and all these different names because they don't have to because I didn't ask for the information. So it's a game within a game. I uh, edit some counterintelligence journals and these guys love the game. It's very, um, it's very James Bond. It's very John Le Carre. It's, it's very, you know, the grand game where we're seducing people and we're playing with high tech weapons. But the problem is thousands, if not tens of thousands of people were permanently damaged, killed, driven insane because of this big Cold War spy game. You know, that still goes on under certain guises today. And, you know, the the one thing that comes to my mind right now, and I know this is silly because it, it almost sounds like it's off topic, but we're in our, our midterm elections this year and there's going to be another presidential election in a couple of years. And you've got uh, good guys and bad guys and and backbiting and, and vying for position. But what's interesting to me is that if you're an elected official, you're just kind of like the face out in front, but all this stuff that's going on are all unelected people who could be there for years and years and years doing this under the radar, not in the public spotlight. They don't run for office. Their face is not on a poster. They're not being interviewed on TV. They're just quietly doing their work in the background and nobody knows about it. Yep, I agree. There's two words, Patriot Act. That was done. The Patriot Act is exact, gave them all the permission they need to do whatever they want under the guise of national security. Would that yeah, but be I would say... Oh, I'm Please sorry. Go ahead, Joey. Go ahead, Joey. No, I was just going to say, but this goes all the way back to 1947 with the creation oh. of the CIA, with oh, the yeah. Atomic Energy Commission, with all of the rest of it. Um, Suzanne, you bring up such a crucial point. We are talking about career uh, government employees. Yeah. And we are talking about compartmentalizing. I mean, look at our presence. And I'm sorry to keep going back to the UAP UFO thing, but I think more people, I'm surprised. How many people don't know about MK Ultra? But people know about they know about UFOs. Things are farmed out to government contractors, so you can have a, a, an admiral go to a contractor and say, "I want everything you have on Project Block," and they go, 15, "You know what? Fifteen seconds, Joey. I don't work for you." I don't work for you. I'm not telling you anything. Our own presidents try to get information about this stuff. And they say, you know what? Plausible deniability, national security. You'll be gone in four years or eight years. So right. you hit on something major. Yeah. It's Thank that you. substrata. Yeah. Thank you. We'll, yeah. we'll pick up All threads right. of this some and, other time. And, and as to plausible deniability, this interview never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Joey Medea, Craig Ansel, you guys are great. We'll have you back together. What a show. And we learned so much. Thank you, gentlemen, Thank you for both. being with us today. Thank you both. Right. Have a great weekend. You too. And, and blessings to my friend, Barbara Collins. Her life is celebrated today in Seattle. Godspeed. <laughs>